0: We have an awesome Savior, and He's alive today. He's here to speak to us this morning. Let's just open our hearts up as we open God's Word to Philippians chapter 1. I know in the bulletin it says Philippians 19 through 11, so just put the little colon in there, and it's 1, 9 through 11. That's okay. Okay. Debbie's allowed her one mistake for the year. After all, it is September. Yeah, she's got three months to go. If she does another mistake, she's fired. But <laughs> Philippians one, let's stand together, nine through eleven. And this I pray. This is Paul writing to the Philippians. This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, Lord, we bow our heads and our hearts before you and ask you to speak from this letter and uh, speak to our hearts. Allow us, Lord, to hear the truth from your word. You are the blessed Redeemer. And uh, we need you. We need your love. We need your grace. We need your mercy. And thank you. So this is your service. This is your sermon. Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. We're still looking at the introduction to Paul's letter to the Philippian church, it had three parts in the introduction, which was the greeting, verses one and two, and then the Thanksgiving portion, which was one long sentence, verses three to eight. And uh, today we're moving on to the prayer portion, which we'll spend a couple Sundays talking from and uh, see what Paul is praying for, for these Christian friends of his. The first item of Paul's prayer list were probably the most important. So these in verse 9 are where we're going to concentrate today. And uh, these are super important to Paul because if you're going to pray about somebody, you're probably going to say the first things that come to your mind, which probably will be the most important things about that person. So uh, that's just the way it is. Um, So I felt I should spend more time trying to understand the, the balance here between love and knowledge and discernment Before moving on to the rest of his prayer. So let's read verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. The first part of his prayer. So first thing is Christians need to grow in love. And this I pray that your love may abound more and more. In the English language, we have too many meanings and nuances for the word love. (laughs) Uh, Think about this. Uh, You can say almost anything. Oh, I love it. Is the expression used if it's uh, pizza or casserole or ice cream or... Whatever it is, it could be gifts, it could be food, it could be uh, a vacation location, uh, it could be um, entertainment. Oh, I love Skillet, I love that group, or whatever it may be. I love uh, Beach Boys, I don't know, whatever you love. Um, Gadgets, oh, I love my new iPhone, I love my hairdresser, I love my... Anyway, everything we love, I uh, love my dog. Uh, yeah, right, you love, this. there's so many things that we love that there seems to be no variation as to what is love and what is love and what is love, right? I mean, it's really kind of, it's almost meaningless. There's so many connotations to, to what love is that it's, almost meaningless today. We, we really struggle with that. We even say we love God. Well, where does he fit? In love, love, or love, or love. So, to us, it's hard to tell. So if a woman loves 10 different outfits, oh, I just love this outfit. Oh, it's just so wonderful, looks good on me. Does she really want to wear it every day? I mean, then I love this one, and I love this one. What does she really love? Right? Guys are confused. And if a guy has 10 different lovers, does he really love any of them? Right? And And so we really struggle with this word because it's I love math to I love my dog to I love Chicken, you know, you can just come up with anything and this seems like it's all love, but no it's not, because there's some things that you really think are more important than others. But we use love for all of them. If you really love the beach, you would sell your house in Brazil and move to lakefront property or the ocean, right? If you really loved the beach. This is my point I'm trying to make. Um, The Greek language, though, is a lot more specific than the English language in that there's at least four different Greek words that we would translate love, but they would use separate words to separate those concepts so you know when they're talking about love, they're not talking about this. They're talking about that specific thing. So they've narrowed it down some, but still you're probably going to have some problems with that. But I've been telling you that Paul picked and used specific words when he wrote this letter. And we've been looking at some of those. Words like saints and, and uh, doulos, which is the servant or slave more readily. We looked at that. And, and koinonia, fellowship, we looked at that. And some of these words that we've been picking out and, and focusing on. Paul chose a word for love here that you've heard. The noun form is agape, the verb form is agapeo, but he's using love in a very specific sense. This word is set apart from any other word we could use for love. It's not talking about I love animals, I love food, I love. You don't use this word, this word is specific. And when Paul prayed for these Christians' love to grow, he's using that Greek word agape, and it is not sexual love, it is not object love, it's not animal love, it's not location love, it's not food love, it's not clothing love, it's not even brotherly love or family love. Brotherly love is phileo, which is where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Agape is divine love, God love, unselfish love, self-giving love, putting the interest of others before my own wants kind of love. So when you start doing that, it separates it from all these other things. Oh, I love this and I love that. No, this is putting others' interests before your own love. And most of the time when we say love, we're talking about what we want that pleases us. And this is not that kind of love. This love, agape, is God sending his son Jesus kind of love. It is God loving sinful humans so much that he sends Jesus to die for us on the cross. This is the love God has for Jesus and Jesus has for us. It's Jesus taking the pain of the cross when he didn't do anything wrong so that he could love us and save us from sin. It is God giving us grace and mercy over and over when we need it again and again. That's love that we're talking about here, agape love. Cause sinful human love is mainly selfish. I love what pleases me, what makes me feel good, what makes me look good and makes me important and the center of the universe. Buying things I can't afford because I want them. Because I love me. Eating two pieces of dessert because I deserve it. Right? Having sex without marriage because it's all about me and not about commitment and not about work of marriage, but just having fun enjoying myself because I like me, kind of love. And that's what most of when we say love, that's what we're talking about. I love these things, I love this thing or this feeling or this emotion because it pleases me. But as we've been going through Philippians I began to think of what love really is. Love is the slave backing up to the doorpost and getting an awe stuck through it so that he can be different than everybody else. And he says, I'm not working because I owe. I'm working because I love. Right? That's going beyond. That's not about you anymore. That's about serving the master. That's about putting Jesus so much forward in your life that you just do whatever it takes to serve him voluntarily. Agape is becoming the saint, a holy one, separated from the world and surrendered to God's will in unity with Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit and living for God in your local community. I want to be separate and different. If this is a holy day, it's different than the rest of the days of the week. If I'm a holy person, I'm different than the rest of the people in my community. I want to be holy. Because God is holy, so I love him that kind of way. Agape is koinonia, the fellowship, sharing with other Christians through praying and suffering and being joyful and graceful and spreading the gospel. Agape is becoming the living sacrifice we talked about last Sunday, placed upon the altar of God's will, allowing God to burn out of your life all those bad habits and all those attitudes and all those selfish tendencies, all the things we say we love, we surrender to the love of God. God is first. So we're beginning to get the picture of what Paul is is beginning to get this theme going here in Philippians. There's a lot of themes, but when it comes down to the prayer part of his introduction, what's the first thing he prays for? That these people, these Christians, might grow in love. That their love may abound still more and more. And he's not talking about love for pizza or love for animals or love for... He's talking about love for God and love for others out of God's love. Love that is God-centered and not self-centered. So he's praying that this agape, God-centered, self-giving compassion would abound still more and more within his Christian friends. Why do we need to pray this for each other? Why would one Christian pray this for another Christian? Because this kind of love is not natural. It goes beyond the normal. So, if we're just going through life being normal, then fitting in with the world, then we're not gonna be different and they're not gonna see the difference. But if we start praying for each other to have agape love, guess what? It's gonna make you different. Because if everybody else is self centered and you're saying, I'm Christ centered, guess what? You're gonna be different. And so instead of just praying that everybody has a normal day, pray for Christians to have God love, agape love in their hearts. So what's normal love and not normal love? It's normal to buy a card or to buy your wife a present on Christmas, her birthday, her anniversary, on Valentine's Day or when you get in trouble. What's abnormal is when you show up and hand her a bouquet of flowers when it's not one of those days, right? So guys, we 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 work hard just to get the regular days. And woe be unto you if you miss. But agape love would be just showing up someday and say, I just love you because. Of course, she's gonna have a heart attack and faint away. But isn't that true? Wouldn't that be a guy? That's, that's not a got to do it because of the occasion, love. That's just because I thought of you today, and you were so special to me in my thoughts that I decided to do something special for you. And all the women said, Oh. Because women do that more for guys than guys do for girls, right? It's kind of more in their DNA. Um, all right. So it's normal to do that, um, It's normal to worship God on Sunday morning, right? But how about reading a whole book of the Bible through at one setting, just sitting down and saying, God, I just want to hear what you want to say to me today. I'm going to spend a whole. Now that's showing God some love, isn't it? Or spending an extra 15 minutes and just saying, God, I got 15 minutes today. This is your time. Talk to me. Or when you've got some extra time popping in one of your favorite groups and singing the praises of Jesus Christ just because you love him. Going a little bit beyond what you normally would do as a Christian to show God you love him, right? That isn't so hard. It's just not normal for people to think that way. It's normal to see your Christian friends on Sunday, but what about a quick visit to the nursing home, a text message of encouragement for no particular reason, connecting with someone else at church you really don't know that well? I mean, that is agape love, getting out of what's normal and saying, okay, I care. And some of you do that. Some of us have to think and almost plan it if we're going to do something like that. It may be normal to clean your room on Saturday, teens, but what about doing it first thing without being asked three times and threatened twice? Because that's not normal, right? You got to wait until they're about to ground you and then, oh, okay, if I've got to do it, I'll do it. But agape love would show up on Saturday morning if that's your day and and, uh, get up and fold your clothes and put them away and... Fix things and take your laundry down to the laundry room and, and dust and clean and spray. and whoop, Before mom even knows what's going on, and she walks in and says, my child, what happened? And you say, hey, mom, I heard a preacher on Sunday, and you know what? I love you. And I tell you what, for the rest of the day, you can do whatever you want. Especially if later in the day you load the dishwasher washer without being asked, right? That will certainly put mom in an early grave. So you just, you just go ahead and shock her, and it'll be okay because you love her, right? That's what we're talking about. It's not normal. It goes beyond and above, and it says, I'm not thinking about myself right here at this moment. I am thinking about someone else, or I'm thinking about God. So, Paul prayed that this love, this unnormal give of yourself to somebody else type of love, that this thing would abound still more and more. And the Greek word for abound is a cool one that Paul uses a lot. He loves this word. It means love that is lavish, love that's overflowing. And we've seen the pictures. We've had enough hurricanes and tsunamis and different things. We've seen what water can do when it gets outside of the normal boundaries of the ocean or the river or whatever. It floods, right? It just flows. Well, that's abounding. You can't stop it. I mean, it fills up your house if you're in the way. It, you know, it, it washes things away. And this kind of love, he says, I want to pray for my Christian brothers and sisters that this kind of love, that's different, extraordinary, will will just kind of flow out over the boundaries of this world and get out there and kind of saturate and soak up and get out there because people don't see it and they don't know what it's like. To have a Christian show up and say, here I will do extra. Extra because I love you and God loves you. I'll go the second mile, I'll hold the door for another person, I will, I will slow down and let you in, crazy driver, passing on the wrong side, trying to get in at the last minute. And we, and it's okay. Because it doesn't come what normally, it comes from God, right? It's different. Let this love abound still more and more. (laughs) Christian love needs to overflow. The banks of the river flood in the lives of those around us. This is love without measure. This is love without limits. This is God's love lavished on us. In turn, we unleash it on the people around us. And they don't understand because no one does that. No one acts like that. And we say, yes, God does. He loves me. He loves you, and I just wanted to share God's overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love with you. Amen? Reckless love. Kind of sounds like a song. I love this picture of God's agape love flowing through us into the lives of those around us. Don't you just love that picture? That's why we tank up on Sunday morning. So all week long we just let let it flow. Let it flow. And we could stop right here and get all hung up about the ooey gooey, reckless, overwhelming love of God. But Paul didn't stop there. He connects this love with the word knowledge. See, our love is to abound more and more in knowledge. That's what it says in verse 9. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. So we got to add this knowledge. If it was just love, we could stop the message there and you'd only get part of it. But the second part is Christians need to grow in knowledge. Otherwise, we would take this phrase, love is blind, and run with it and think that's all there is. Love is blind has been a popular phrase. Its meaning is is that if you love someone, you're going to overlook his or her faults. But you and I know from personal experience that that goes only so long, right? How long are you going to overlook his or her faults? (laughs) Well, you can do that for quite a while. Unless the faults are such that they come back to harm you. What if your love is blind and you overlook immoral behavior or abusive behavior or destructive behavior? At what point do you say, oh, I'm just blind. I just love you. You can do whatever you want. When it's starting to come back with hurts. Right? Who wants to be love blind to people abusing you? No one. So we start with babies, and biz- babies deserve blind love, right? And they make a mess, and they cry, and they throw their fits, and they do all kinds of stuff, and we just keep going, oh, you little sweet little thing. And we don't seem to mind. But babies grow up, and somewhere around two, three, four, five, <laughs> we start saying, okay. This is got to stop, and we need to start having some responsibilities, and we need to start having some, con, you know, some consequences. So it, it's it's okay to do whatever you want. Kind of love towards babies begins to change, and, and until allowing a child to do whatever he or she wants is not love. It becomes a recipe for disaster. Because love has to be coupled with knowledge. Somewhere, where's the parents when the kids are eating Tide Pods? Right? They're going to love them, but knowledge says, um, that's no good. You don't do that. Your friends may do that. I don't know where their parents are, but they've lost it in the head because knowledge will tell you, you do not do that kind of behavior. And, and okay, kids, and now it's time to eat your vegetables and fruit and, and add that to your diet. And, and 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 child, you don't play with your toy boat down in there in the toilet. No, you use the bathtub. Knowledge enters into this thing of love. So where we gotta put the two together, right? That's very simply to tell you that guess what? It's not all love, 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 love. It is love coupled with knowledge because you got a brain, and your brain says certain things you ought not to be doing. I wonder if that's why God loves us so much and then he says, "But these things keep your cotton picking hands off of." Because God has knowledge along with his love. Well, God, if you really love me, you'd let me do whatever I want to do. Would he really? Because I know as a parent, when I know that certain things are bad for my children, I don't let them do those things. And as our heavenly parent, God knows there are certain things that will get me in trouble. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Ouch. And it hurts sometimes. Sometimes. So when we pray for someone to have love, we also pray for someone to have knowledge. The two go together. When it comes to a God-centered, self-giving love, there has to be some knowledge as well. The knowledge God gives us is called truth. And I capitalize truth in my mind and heart. Because it is truth, not just truth. It is God's truth. How can it really be love if the person is lying to you? God never lies. It's impossible for God to lie. And so we can trust him as the Savior, as the someone in our lives who won't lie to us. Because how long can a relationship last when it's built on a lie after a lie after a lie? Oh, well, I'm just blind love. No, you don't trust them anymore because they don't speak the truth half the time. How can we really be love if you have knowledge that the person is abusive? How can it really be love if children in our neighborhood are being neglected? Deb and I had a church family that we dealt with. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Had a family member who was very abusive with her children. So this church family, this couple, sweet couple, took in the two girls. The one was just a baby. So she doesn't remember the abuse. But the one that's a little older, so affected by abuse. She had to fend for herself. If she wanted to eat, she had to go to the refrigerator and see what was in there and make something to eat or get something out to eat. They got tired of her. They'd wrap her up tight in a blanket and stick her in a black back closet and shut the door, lock her in, and she'd be there for days. So they come with this loving couple to rescue these kids and bring them home. Got them nice clothes. They wore rags. Taught them what a bath was. Bringing them to church. Sweet. Cute kids. But the older one had been warped already. And now she saw her little sister as a contention for that love she was experiencing. Started to act out, started to do things. And here they are coming, Pastor, what do we do? We love her. We're raising her. We're bringing her up out of this situation. Got abusive and threatened to kill her own little sister. What do we do? Can't sleep because you're always worried, you can't leave the two alone. What are you Finally had to sign over from their adoption over to this state give her custody of this child. How breaking. It broke my heart and it broke theirs. It just... We're quick to judge. Love will solve everything. No, they could, they could clean this girl up and change her life in so many ways, but they couldn't change what had happened in her mind. So we're quick to judge other people without knowing all the facts, because love needs truth. God-given knowledge for proper balance in dealing with other people, and we look at one side and we sit outside and judge all we want, but there's truth involved. And when it comes to Christians, we need to learn what God considers right and wrong, We need to grow and mature in our love for him. The more we learn and understand his truth, the better we will be in our relationship of love because part of our love is balanced by truth. It's not just about God saving me. It's about God giving me knowledge on how to live this Christian life. And some people want all the love. Other people want all the truth. And somewhere we need both. We need both. So when we get in that dating relationship, we have to start thinking, it's not just about love, how cute he is, how sweet she is, but it's also the truth. Where are they going with their life? What are they doing? What's their principles? How do they really act? What are they deciding to do with their life? Where's the trajectory leading them? So the more we learn to understand God's truth, the better we will be at self-giving love. And we learn spiritual knowledge from our personal relationship and our personal experiences with God. And he teaches us. Personal experiences in life teaches you a lot. Personal experiences taught me that if I'm going to have a pepperoni pizza, I like to put Tony Satchery's seasoning, Cajun seasoning on it. <laughs> Personal experiences taught you that when you eat an Oreo, it's better if you dip it in milk, right? Or you're one of those that twists it apart and it's all the white stuff out, right? Whatever your personal experience is, put it back in the package, that's right, somebody else. Or like one person who sucks all the, uh, all the M&M off the peanut and tosses it in the, and then the pastor comes along and, mm, peanuts actually happen not to me Whew. we heard a story at a pastor's retreat about a new couple this pastor and his wife and and, and she loved chocolate covered cherries he thought so he kept buying them for her back then and then one day he actually saw her eating one Bite. She liked the chocolate and the cherry goo, but she did not like the cherry. So personal experience begin to tell you, okay, I love this, but no, the knowledge says she really didn't love, right? All of that. And so we begin to learn what you like and what you don't like through knowledge. And so it is with God, we begin to learn, yeah, he likes this, but that he doesn't like in my life. And we learn that about other Christians. Yes, she likes this, but she doesn't like that. And so this knowledge couples in with love. If you're really going to love each other, we have to understand, what's the rules? What's the truth? What's the parameters? And everybody goes off on the love is blind thing, but no, that's not true. Because personal relationship experiences, and for me, that if I share the household chores with Debbie... Life goes a little easier. Why should she be the only one doing all the household chores? She works too. I heard one, Amen. The rest of you are going preach, preach, but you're scared to say anything. Personal relationship experience has given me the knowledge that my love for God grows when I spend some time with Him. And when I follow his plan for my life, when I work with him in ministry, when I invite him along to do ordinary daily tasks, when God is part of my life, then we grow, and our love grows, and my knowledge grows. It comes through personal experience. You neglect God and time with him, and it will affect your love for him and your knowledge about him. So praying for a God-type love is not enough. We also need to pray for a God-inspired knowledge that balances with love and makes it become truly authentic and real and then takes us to the next word. Because how do you know love and knowledge unless there's discernment? And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. Grow that love In knowledge, grow that knowledge, and all discernment. Now, the Greek word Paul uses is very specific. This is the only time it is used in the entire New Testament, discernment. Very special word. We know what it means. It means a practical moral perception that enables us to make right ethical choices. Just because a person has knowledge doesn't mean they have wisdom or discernment. A lot of people can spout the facts, but can they put those facts into everyday life and use them? Paul's point here is that growth in God-centered love is an incomplete unless we also grow in knowledge and in spiritual discernment. Self-giving love and God's truth need spiritual discernment so that we can know when and how to apply that love and that truth. This is especially true when it comes to not just dealing with God, but it's really especially true when it comes to dealing with other people. Because I don't know if you've recognized this yet, but Christians, we're, we're not all cookie cutter Christians. We're different Everyone in here is a little different than everyone else. So the toughest part when dealing with others is knowing when do you show love in spite of their wrong actions. And on the other hand, knowing when to increase the accountability and consequences when their wrong actions hurt others that we love. There's a time for permissiveness. Usually we do that to brand new Christians. We're very, very permissive in the church. We allow them to get by. (laughs) I remember when one new Christian got up front and said, I don't know what the blank I'm doing up here. We were very permissive. And it's okay. Nothing was wrong with that. God was in. But after 10 years of serving God... We expect some behavior growth, right? Maturity. Nothing wrong with this. I've had all kinds of things happen from new Christians. That's happened more than once when people have cussed in church. Because they're so excited about serving God. So it's a time for permissiveness. But there's a time... When you say, you know what, you need to do a little growth here. You need to stop doing that. You need to start doing this. And if certain behaviors continue, sometimes there's a time even for punishment. Happens in our homes. We've talked about that. Also happens amongst us. And most of the time our response has to be somewhere in between a combination of the two pulling them creating that tension the rubber band tension and that's what God creates to us. He says, "Okay, you say you love me, then I, and he stretches us a little bit and we say, "Uh, you know, if we go the other way, we break from God." But he stretches us and then we pull back. And then he stretches and we see we're growing. We're learning. Some people are naturally full of love. They overlook faults. They hug everyone. Other people in the church are full of knowledge. (laughs) They notice faults and struggle to express their love to people they know aren't quite where they need to be. All of us are some combination of the two, of love and knowledge, of truth and caring. And this is where discernment comes in. A parent has to know when to be permissive and when to punish. God has to know when to show grace and when to give correction. A Christian has to know when to offer forgiveness and when to offer truth. And most of the time, it's a combination of the two. And we need to remember, very strongly remember, that every Christian within a given church, therewith All different stages of spiritual growth. And we expect everybody to be at your level when you've been a Christian for 50 years. I'm sorry, but when someone's only been a Christian for two, they're not there. And this is where discernment needs to come in, folks. And a little bit more of love. And a little bit more grace. And a little bit more mercy. But when you've been hanging around the church for 50 years and you still ain't doing nothing with your religious life, then there comes a time when you need to say, wake up. Hello? Right? So we need discernment to know how to best get along with each other as a body of Christ when we are all at different levels of maturity and growth and they're all over the place, and you can just look out and, and don't you put everybody in your category because they're not all there, ladies and gentlemen. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to realize, I need discernment. You need discernment, and my hardest task as a pastor is discernment. This is why Paul prays for them to be filled with all love, that it may abound still more and more in in, in, in knowledge and in discernment, all discernment. Why? Because he as a pastor needs this. They as Christian people need this. I as a pastor need this. It's one of the hardest things that you will do as a Christian, because we're quick to judge and usually slow to forgive. And then on the other side, some of us are quick to forgive when we need to be pulling people up a little bit more, putting the tension on it, and it's so hard to do. (laughs) As a pastor, every person and every situation is unique, and I'm required to make decisions about people and problems all the time. And sometimes... I don't get it right. Of course, the older I am and the more I've done this, the better I'm getting at it, thank the Lord. Experience helps. But I still have to rely upon God's Spirit to guard my mind and my tongue because sometimes I will say things that I should not have said. Because sometimes truth, I'm just being vulnerable and love and I don't know which direction to go. So you better be kind to me because, and pray for me this prayer. Because I need to grow in all love and knowledge and discernment to be a better pastor. Sometimes I'm very compassionate. Sometimes I'm tired of dealing with the same issue over and over. Sometimes I have great insights. God just, oh, I love that. God just gave me the right word to say. The scripture came, whatever. And other times I'm sitting there going, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> right? You've been there? So don't fault me totally because all of us have been there. Sometimes it just flows and sometimes you just, uh So you need to understand my problem. Sometimes I push one person forward and, and then I back off and let another person come a little slower or maybe they have to learn it the hard way because they just won't learn it the easy way. Sometimes we just have to learn it the hard way. And it's not easy. And always, as Christians, we have to learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, don't we? To guide us in how to do this. And before you judge me too harshly, think about this. Your hardest task as a Christian in this fellowship is going to be discernment. Unless you retreat into your shell and pull yourself back, you will have to learn how to treat others in God's family. Let me ask you some questions. Do you always know that when some issue is important, that's brought up, or if it is an insignificant matter? Some issues, oh, it must be very important. But you begin to learn some people. That's just a day in the life of Right? So you learn what's important and what's insignificant. And there's some people in church, they won't even tell you when it's significant. Learn to discern. You have to learn the personalities. Of some people, they won't ask for help. They won't tell you when they're in need. You have to figure it out. And that's hard. What do you do when you get a prayer request? And it turns into a gossip session. Learn to discern. There's some point in time when when I don't need to know all that information. I just need to pray for this person, right? See, love and truth are one thing. And I'm just telling you practically, you need some discernment, ladies and gentlemen. This is not easy. Spiritual things sometimes become hurtful things. And I know what it's like. I was on a, pastor, or a phone with a pastor one time, and telling him a certain need, and he wanted to share it with some others. And I said, no. I'm burying my heart to you. You pray for me, but I don't want everybody else to know about it, right? We need some discernment. And he didn't have it that time. When it comes to church, folks, do you treat my kids differently than the other church kids, differently than the bus kids? And what? Should there be a difference? Do we sometimes ignore biblical truth because it affects you, but then expect someone else to live up to that truth and walk and talk it, right? We need discernment, folks. Do we react to some people on impulse and other people? We think about what they say, oh, yeah, and think about it. And then with some other people, we actually stop and pray. We have all different levels of the way we deal with each other. And if we were to stand back and actually look, we would say, that's not fair the way I react towards this person as opposed to where, that's where we need God and we need discernment and we need to figure it out. Where is love? Where is knowledge? And where do we figure it out in between discernment? That's where parenting is hard. When do you punish? When do you give permission? You need discernment. All of a sudden, discernment seems like something we all need as Christians. And I hope that you're going to pray for other Christians to become more discerning. I hope that you will understand here from this, this passage of Scripture that we need to pray for each other, that we get not only the love of God, but also the knowledge from God, and then the ability to discern, because we will never get along, folks, until we can get this worked out. And I'm just one of you on the journey I'll have it all down when I get to heaven. But until then, we need to give each other a little bit of grace, and a little bit of mercy, a little bit more of that love, right? Because it ain't all about you all the time. Sometimes it's somebody else. To be the church God needs in this town, we all need more compassion, more truth, and more understanding, and we need it to begin to flow out. (laughs) flow out into our schools and flow out into our businesses and flow out down our streets and and into the mayor's office and into the, the fire station and all over the place at the Hamilton Center and at the courthouse and here we go and down your neighborhood. We need it to flow, folks. They need Christians with some knowledge and some love and some discernment in our communities. We really need it more than you know. More than I know. So Paul is praying for the growth of his Christian friends. What a way to start a prayer. He understood that they needed to grow in knowledge and love and discernment. And we need to pray for this and for each other as well. I'm asking each of you to look around you. There's not a whole lot of space in the bulletin. The bulletin was so full she had to put an insert in. But if you can find some space there. If you could look around, take out your pen, and write down the names of five people. I'm serious. That you could pray for this prayer. Because if we all prayed this prayer for five other people in this church, and we did it every day of the week, guess what would happen to this church? If we are praying for Sheila's love to increase and her knowledge to increase and her discernment ability to increase, guess what that would do in the life of Sheila and then Christina and then Samantha and right on down the line? What would it do? Multiplied by 100 people. If you would pray this for me, how much better of a pastor could I become? So starting this afternoon, look at those five names or ten or whatever you want to lay in your heart. And and you can replace, look at this verse 9 and replace the word your with the name of that person. And you can say, and this I pray, that pastor's love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. And I pray that Ian's love may abound still more and more in all knowledge and all discernment. And I pray that the Debbies and and the Toms and the Rays, and the Barbs, because there's lots of those three names. <laughs> and I pray that Debbie's love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Wow! We need this, folks. You see, we go through all week long and never even pray for each other unless we know somebody's in a crisis and going to the hospital or having a deal. But if we really would begin to pray for each other, that the love of Jesus Christ would so pour himself into our hearts and lives, and and then that we would get the knowledge and the truth to balance with that, and then each of us would have discernment on how to act towards each other, it would transform the atmosphere. And you know what? The devil will fight this with everything he has. There's nothing more powerful than a church that loves each other and is growing in their knowledge and relationship with the Lord and has the smarts to figure it out, to give this person a little more grace and to give this person a little bit more push. Right? That's powerful. And that's why Paul is praying this for this group. And parents, pray this prayer for your children. (laughs) Youth workers, pray this for the teens and for the children of our church. Teachers, pray this for the students. What a difference this could make if you prayed this for your spouse and your parents and your best friend and even your worst enemy. Lord, I pray that my worst enemy, Sam, may come to a knowledge of God and and that his his love would abound and overflow until he gets the discernment of Jesus Christ. And Sam and I, will get along, right? You pray that for your worst enemy and you'll get to thinking, it's not so bad after all. Sam's not my worst enemy, forget that. I think we get along pretty good, he'll tell you the truth afterwards. (laughs) Do you want to grow in love and knowledge and discernment? Then we need to pray about it. Do you want our church to grow in love, knowledge and discernment? Then we need to pray for people in the church because you just can't say, Lord help our church to grow in love and knowledge and discernment. No, you need to say, Lord, help this person and this person and go right down the list. Everybody you can think of in your section and then everybody you can think of in the next section of the church and in a month's time, if you take five people a week Pray for church individuals by name. Do you want God's love to overflow into the streets of your neighborhood? Then begin to pray for it to happen. If you know some of your neighbors, you can start praying for them. Love, Lord. Let it abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. In their home. In their home. Because real love is not blind. Real love sees the need, and it takes that need to God in prayer, and then asks God for the information and the discernment to meet that need. I've never preached this message before, and never even thought about it this way before. But Paul is a whole lot smarter than I am, and he just laid it out there. And I struggled a little bit. How do you? And the group prayed for me on Wednesday night, and it just kind of came together. Praying makes a difference, folks. God-centered, self-giving love starts with just one prayer. Your prayer. This is not hard. It wasn't meant to be hard. It just needs to be implemented And it needs to start with your prayers. Prayers is talking to God. Prayer is saying, God, I just pray for the Collins family. That they would grow in all love and knowledge and discernment. I pray for Tom and Mary Sue. My word. But we begin to pray for people for this to happen. This is not hard. Maybe it's so easy, that's why we don't do it. Did anybody ever teach you in Sunday school class to pray for other people in the church by their name? (laughs) They just always say, well, pray for the kids in general, pray for the church in general. Let's get specific as we begin to ask for God to do this in our church family. One person at a time. Not my prayer. Paul wrote it. But thank you, Paul. And thank you, God, for sharing it with us. Because it means something to me today. It's family altar time as the praise team comes and sings. You can begin by praying for four or five people this morning, if you so desire, here at the altar. You can do that, just put it into practice bring your Bible down and say "I'm." Lord just remember the three words love knowledge and discernment and begin to pray for each other for your families for your home for your community for your church family Lord we're just going to open up the altar and we're just going to sing and we're going to pray and we're going to love on each other and we're going to love on you God you deserve it You deserve this love. After all, you're the greatest example of love. So help us, Lord, as we talk to you about our problems and our things. It may not be about this that we come and talk to you today, but Lord, whatever it is, we lay it here at your feet. We surrender to you and allow you to begin to work love, knowledge, and discernment into our lives. Make us better spouses, make us better parents, make us better children. Make us better leaders in the community. Make us better church members. Make us better Christians. In Jesus' name we pray.
1: Oh Lord.
0: Church, let's just pray for each other. Pray for those that are sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you, even if you don't know them by name. Lord, we are praying for an increase of agape love, of self-giving, God-centered love to just flow through our churches, through our homes, into our communities. And Lord, begin, we begin with these that are on the platform, playing the piano, leading us in worship, Lord, just let love flow, oh God, let knowledge grow, and let discernment become a part of who we are, we each need you, we need you as parents, we need you to be better children, and respect our parents, and honor them. We need it as teachers and we need it as students. We need it as bosses. We need it as workers. We need it as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We need to know when it's okay to give permission and give grace and give mercy. And we need to know, Lord, when it's time to tighten up a little bit and actually begin to live the light that God has shed to us and walk in it. Lord, this is a big deal. It's basic, it's foundational, but it's a big deal in a church. And in a home. I pray, Lord, for an overwhelming sense of your presence to begin to pervade one home at a time, our community. I mean, again, Lord, to just infiltrate our church members until there was such a sense of love and such a sense of of, of knowledge and truth and growth. There's such a sense, Lord, of getting along and and being patient and kind toward one another. And I'm glad, Lord, I really didn't have anybody in particular in my mind. It's, It's all of us, Lord, starting with me. Help us to have that patience and kindness and love, and grace. We all need it, Lord. To give us a measure of measure of your love and truth. That we need today. Lord, you know the other needs, you know the sick, you know the hurting, the losses, the deaths. The community, and so many things to pray for. The schools. We pray for Eastside Elementary this week. We pray for see you at the pole, Lord, on Wednesday. Various schools will have something there. I pray that the students will come out. It's supposed to be student-led. We pray for our service tonight as the community gathers here for missional area rally and our district superintendent speaks we pray Lord that as this week goes forward that every day we will find and pray for people help us to grow in you Lord we all need to grow in you thank you for hearing our prayers be with us now as we worship you (laughs) that's our desire to worship you because you are worthy of all of our praise and all our glory Worship you, Lord. We love you. We thank you for what you've shared with us today. And we ask these things in Jesus'.